What's happening? Welcome back, bass players around the world, musicians. We are announcing the winner of the giveaway, the Bass Player's Guide to Sight Reading, Bass Player's Guide to Altered Chord and Scales, Chords and Scales, and the Bass Player's Guide to Pentatonics. Got all three hard copy physical books sitting right here on my desk. Uh, a bunch of you left comments, some great comments. I learned a lot. I learned about some new bass players. I learned about some new music. So thank you very much for that. Um, we're going to announce that shortly. Uh, what I didn't realize is as I was adding all these names to the random uh, little online tool I'm using to just pick a random winner here out of all the people that posted a comment, what I didn't realize is that some people just have one uh, one name there, not a second name. Um, it just kind of goes Jim or John or Steve or like that. So it's going to be interesting. Um, hopefully I can message whoever the winner is through Substack, get an address and uh, whisk these these three super fun books off to the winner. All right, let's stop. Let's stop beating around the bush. Let's just hit the button. And uh, of the 68 people, that's kind of a low number considering, considering the amount of people that that read the post that's uh, that's kind of crazy or rather the amount of people that read the post and um yeah the amount of people that read the post and who listened to that episode of the podcast that's uh the fact that there were only 68 on there interesting um so this is we're talking about the post um how i learned difficult music there were over 7000 total views of the of the post podcast had over 700 downloads which is awesome i gotta say since moving the podcast to substack the engagement has been i mean just uh growing exponentially which is awesome i really appreciate that that more people are checking out the podcast and um should endeavor to bring more episodes of it to you all right i'm gonna hit the button let's go um number of winners one number of contestants number of entrants da 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 Pick random name. Oh, sorry, I can't put this on screen. For those of you who are also watching on YouTube, let's see. Okay, there's the, that was quick. Okay, um, I used commentpicker.com, and the winner is John W. John W. I'm gonna go back and see um, which uh, which comment John W. left and which bass player um, he suggested. Let's see. Uh, now I've got to now I've got to scroll down here, and I will address some of the some of the bass players that people suggested as well. There were um, awesome things that I would never have found out about. So as much as I'm giving away these three books and paying for the postage and 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 you know giving this away for free, uh, I actually got really a lot in return. So I appreciate that, and I also appreciate. Um, let's see, I'm scrolling down the list here to find out what John W's. Uh, what John W's suggestion was, but as I scroll down, let me go and have a look. We got um, quite a few votes for Rich Brown. That's great. Um, Joey Arkenstadt. People, it's a bunch of people I hadn't um, hadn't heard of, hadn't checked out. Uh, Richard Boner, of course. Um, Morton Haxholm from Ezra. I mean, just like a lot of stuff. Canada being represented here. Alan Caron. Um, Mark King, of course, Victor Wooten, of course, some of the, you know, some of the more obvious ones. My great buddy Paniotis Andreu, who I just texted me last week, and I, he was in town playing in LA, and I was in New York. 
really sad to have missed him. Um, and just, you know, a lot from, for Rich Brown, actually. Dave Edwards here chiming in with Rich Brown. Used to play in Depth Theory. I know because I played in Depth Theory right after him. Um, let's see. Some Hungarian players. Jacko. A lot for Jacko. That was nice to see that people are still digging him. Niels, Niels Henning Osted Pedersen. Here we go. John W. J. Clifton Mayhew on Adrian Ballou's Adidas in Heat. I got to go check that out now, but that's John W. Um, appreciate that. I'm going to find out, I guess, in real time if I can send you a message. Mm. Interesting. I'm not sure I can do that. I can't see a profile for John W. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so this is going to be a little weird. I had assumed that because people were um, commenting through their profile on the app that uh, that I'd be able to just send them a message right away and notify the winner, but that doesn't seem to be the case. I'm going to... Oh, I should take a screenshot of just to to show everyone that it's real. I'm going to post that and... um, I'll reply to John W.'s comment on the Substack. And if you're listening, John W., um, go to yannickgustala.com and send us an email. Put in the put in the uh, in the subject line giveaway winner, and we'll get your address and um, and send these three books out to you right away. Um, okay, let's move on. I've been away, uh, as you probably noticed um, or read about as I've been posting a bunch on Substack. I've been away for a week in New York doing the new Steve Smith Vital Information record, which was a ton of fun. Um, yesterday's post sort of talked a lot about that and kind of my journey to meet all these musical heroes from two of the most important bands for me when I was in my um, in my mid-teens just starting to play the instrument and finding out about jazz and about fusion and about improvised music and hearing two um, live concerts in particular, one being the Brecker Brothers live in Barcelona 1992 with Dennis Chambers, Mike Stern, James Genus, George Whitty and Michael and Randy Brecker and the other um, concert being the Steps Ahead live in Tokyo 1986 um, with Mike Minieri, the uh, the band's founder, uh, Mike Stern, Daryl Jones, Michael Brecker, and um, my current uh, boss, shall we say, and employer, Steve Smith, um, who I've spent the past week in New York with uh, making his new record for his band Vital Information, the 40th anniversary of Steve's band and of Steve being a band leader with this, uh, under that under that name, under that band title. And um, pretty amazing to close the journey on meeting and, uh, and or working with all of those musicians. Finally, Mike Manieri. At 84 years old, amazing to meet him, amazing to be on the record with him and kind of fulfill uh, the final, you know, kind of make the final part of the journey of meeting um, all of those people from those albums or from those live concerts and getting to work with almost all of them. So that you go check out that post from yesterday. That's a long blog post with videos and photographs and all kinds of stuff, history and kind of a longer longer post for me go check that out um, if you haven't already that's the full story but i'm just back from that feeling really good uh really kind of excited to have a couple of months off here um and really all i have in the books is a one-off with bob in louisiana in baton rouge in the beginning of february and other than that one gig 
and a baked potato gig or something in town. But other than that one gig out of town, I'm not leaving again until sort of last week of March with Steve Smith and Vital Information to do the tour. So really looking forward to shutting it down a little bit and having some time with the family and yeah, kind of getting some normalcy back into, into everyday life and spending time with my daughter and cooking again and being healthy and walking more and and although new york was amazing for that even though i was in the studio a lot of the time um anything i did do while i was there in the city and staying up on the upper west side i basically walked everywhere which is awesome i do miss that about new york over la it is so easy to get not just your kind of typical eight to ten thousand steps in a day it's pretty easy to hit 15 or sixteen thousand without even thinking about it just by walking and running a few errands during the day so I, I do miss that about New York. I didn't think about that in my 20s when I was there. I don't think my metabolism was uh, slow enough to prompt me to think about that. But being, you know, 20 years later here or, or whatever it is, definitely conscious of all of those things and the daily routine. And I, I love being on tour on certain kinds of tours, especially pop tours. I, I think that's the one thing I miss about touring on pop tours where there is once they actually happen. Once you stop waiting around for somebody else's schedule and once they actually, hey, here it is and here's the six months of work, you do get into a pretty amazing routine. If, if, you know, all you're doing every day is, is playing a concert, maybe you play four or five nights a week and you travel, but there's kind of a routine to it. There's the tour bus, there's the hotel, there's the venue. If you're playing nice big venues, there are arenas, there are uh, lots of stairs and steps and just great places to work out. If you're lucky to be on a big, big tour, there's like a semi with a gym in it or you're in nice hotels with ha- which have gyms in them. So you get in that routine. I love that. I do miss that a little bit. Don't miss working for other people so much though. Um, and when I'm gone and it's not like that, when it's a little bit kind of disjointed, you know, jazz touring is not exactly like that. And, you know, the Bob Reynolds tour was up and down and inside and out and upside down most of the time with the travel. Um, and this, you know, week in the studio, you know, we're leaving for the studio at 10 in the morning, not getting back until eight at night. doesn't leave a lot of time for run, swim, gym, or any of that kind of stuff. So I am in that sense, looking forward to being home and really having this kind of new protocol, um, realizing my age, realizing where my body's at this point in my life and knowing or having a better understanding now of what I need to do for my 60s, my 70s, my 80s, now in my early to mid 40s. Um, kind of have a little better understanding of that, much better than I did when I turned 30, for instance, and just kind of things for the future coming into focus. So I'm really like looking forward to getting started with that. I can talk a little bit more about that. Maybe you want to leave some comments below this post on Substack if you have questions about that, about exactly what I'm doing every day. Maybe that'll make an interesting standalone episode the musician's lifestyle like the updated the 2022 like what what's necessary these days to make it past retirement age way is that 65 or something not that we ever really retire as musicians i know very few musicians who have retired bill bruford actually retired not that long ago like, okay i think i've done everything i can i've got nothing else to say and i just retired you know wrote a book sold all his drums done so that's that's interesting mike manieri that's also the, the, the very interesting he's 84 and showing no signs of it we were hanging just briefly with me and him and steve in new york and uh he was saying how he's he hasn't been in great health but he's feeling really good now and everything's great and is thinking about 
being out there again and playing live and maybe with steps ahead, it doesn't know. Like nothing was really concrete, but definitely his vibe was, hey, I want to get back out there. And he's 84. So you never really know. And I know, I think Ray Brown died in his sleep, like peacefully, thankfully. And let's check out how old Ray Brown was when he, when he died. But I think he had like, he'd either just played golf or was going to play golf, something like that. How old was Ray? Um, he was 75. Okay. But definitely from a different era, um, from a less, I think, less nutritionally scientific era and made it through a lot of, uh, a lot of generations of not particularly healthy, healthy living in terms of being a jazz musician. And, um, yeah, Midwest, that was it. Yeah. Brown died in his sleep July 2nd, 2002. Oh, so over 20 years ago now after having played golf before a show in Indianapolis. So he was still out there working on the road. I'm sure he wasn't, if he was playing a golf that day and a show that night, I'm sure he wasn't expecting. I'm sure there wasn't a huge medical condition that was known to him that was keeping him from touring. So he was doing it right until the end. Um, and I know a lot of people like that. It's like the musician's um, retirement plan is just to be, just to be able to command a way higher fee after you're like 60 or 65. So you have to work less and you can make way more money and it's, uh, I guess, as secure as playing live music can be. And hopefully you save some and are sensible with your money along the way. But that seems to be with musicians like that who are artists, that's something I aspire to continue to be. But until the end, at least right now, who knows how I feel in 20 or 30 years, but that seems to be an option um, that a lot of people take. I know Charlie Hayden played way late. Uh, Chick Corea obviously was a very uh, kind of sudden and rare disease that he got, but he was playing very, uh, like right up until his death, even though COVID was around and, and, and they weren't touring that much. I remember seeing, well, did he die during COVID? I can't remember. I know he didn't die of COVID, he died of a very rare disease, but I know I saw one of his last shows in Madrid, we had a night off in Madrid in 2020 in March, somewhere around there, like the 9th, 10th, 11th of March, something like that. We were in Madrid and we had a night off and like COVID was like coming in fast, but they were still, shows were still open. And I went to see, I forget what the venue was, big concert hall in the center of Madrid. I remember riding the bird scooter out there all the way from the hotel. It was cool. And uh, met up with Ruslan and we went to the show. It was unbelievable. That was the show you may have heard about because Christian McBride snapped an A string. It wasn't like it was a bottom string or top string. It was a freaking A string. 30 seconds into the first uh, first half of the concert and just destroyed it. I was like, I was looking down thinking, wow, that's a really long tail to leave on the string above the, above the headstock. I was like, oh no, that's the entire fucking string because it's just snapped. And now he's playing the entire Chick Corea trio show with Brian Blade on drums with three strings, with, with one, you know, with one, not a top string, not a bottom string. That's crazy. And I saw a little video they posted way later about that. And he wasn't even that bothered about replacing it. He's like, ah, I could probably go play the second set without it again. You know, it was a fun challenge. I was like, holy shit. It's one thing to do when you're practicing or in a rehearsal or on like some little, you know, jam session gig, but like you're on, a huge concert hall stage in Europe with Chick Corea playing some very challenging music. He's like, yeah, whatever. Sign of a true, uh, true legend right there. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, the musician's retirement plan. That might be what I'm, 
what I'm into. Um, by the time I'm 70 or 80, maybe still doing it. Uh, Randy's, how old is Randy now? Randy is, seven, I want to say 77. Is that right? Come on. I got to get one of these. Oh, my God. I was right. 77. Okay. Born 1945. Boom. November 27th. Hey, he just turned 77. Oh, we're only nine days apart with our birthday. Very cool. And Randy's still doing it and is uh, in good health. He sounds amazing. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely definitely possible if you set it up the right way, I think. So uh, let's see. Let's see if I'm still podcasting in 30 years. I can give you a report on that. One thing I do want to report on is... Obviously, I've talked a lot about getting rid of social media. I still don't understand the freaking Facebook thing. It's so annoying in that I just wanted to deactivate my account, like the the public-facing element of the account. I wanted it deactivated. Do not want anyone seeing anything. I don't want to see anything of anyone else. I don't want messages, like none of that. I want it to be completely deactivated, but also still have my back end in terms of being able to administer ads, you know, Facebook ads and Instagram ads, whenever I have a sale going on or a new product coming out, I think it's probably a still, it's probably still a useful tool. Um, who knows how long, how long, how much longer that will be a thing, but right now it is. But the thing is, every time I log in to administer something in the back end, that reactive seems to reactivate the Facebook thing. So maybe it only activates for me. I'm not quite sure. I still don't freaking understand that. So as far as I'm concerned, Facebook is no longer a thing for me. I hope that is the experience other people are having with it and they don't see anything uh, of mine on there anymore. Um, Twitter, obviously, I deactivated that. That is definitely gone. Fantastic. And I, like I said, I think in the last episode, I deleted every single post on Instagram, thirty over 3,100 posts, and just sort of left it as a place for the 62,000 people that follow me on there to... I don't know, to kind of hold on to that that audience for a little while. Um, and something I'm experimenting with right now, I just started doing it this morning, is I turned off all comments, all like uh, counters and all of that stuff. And I'm not accepting messages like it is a one-way, that's a one-way uh, conversation basically, but not really a conversation. It's just the little posts of the latest Substack post. So it's like these white and orange squares, little tiles down the timeline, and each one is a notification of the latest Substack thing. So I figure I'll, I'll, I'll put I'll put one post up per Substack post and see if that helps bring some of the audience from Instagram to Substack. It would be great if that happens. So far, it's been awesome. You guys have been fantastic, and it's been a very um, – a very worthwhile and rewarding experience writing again and having a blog, hosting a podcast there and just generally using that to, to interact with everyone. Also, it's saving some money as well. I talked about this a little bit, but I literally today I was like, okay, I've got to cancel my MailChimp account, which has been the, the company I've used for uh, mailing list um, facilitation for many years now. And I got I literally got an email this morning. Maybe one of you out there is is in the same position with with Mailchimp. You got a notification that even the legacy, like the grandfathered in legacy uh, plans, are now uh, going up in, in in price. So I think my new monthly subscription would is somewhere in the, like a two hundred and twenty dollars a month range. I mean that's 
that's almost as much as like a, a small car payment or something. It's not an insignificant amount of money when you add it all up, considering that Substack allows me to send you guys emails for free. And I think it delivers them. It delivers you something. At least this is my impression of it. It kind of delivers you something uh, way more valuable than just, you know, I tended to use the MailChimp list just to send out a promo email. Um, I, I did use it to say, hey, there's this new video up on YouTube and hey, I'm thinking about this. I would do it occasionally like that, kind of like a blog, but it felt sort of dumb to do that in an email. And now I have the blog, which goes out as an email, which delivers to you as like a finished product. You can read the entire thing in your email. You don't need the Substack app. You don't need to go to the Substack um, website or anything. So to me, the way the impression I get of, of it is that it delivers you more value. I hope that is how it's received. So far, your feedback has uh, has confirmed that, which is great. Keep that coming. Um, so, yeah, so I'm happy to delete my my MailChimp account today, which is great. And I've got to get rid of my Transistor account. Transistor is the company I used to host the podcast for so long. Now that's happening in Substack. It's going to save a little bit of coinage throughout the month. And uh, let me invest it in other things, more worthwhile things that aren't social media related. Um, and yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Had the gig in New York. Thank you to the, to the cats that came out to that. It was really fun with Cliff and Nia at the bitter end. Um, cool to meet some of you guys and girls and, uh, just really fun to play again. That's, that was awesome. I'm going to edit that and get that up to the live archive at Yannick Space Studio this week. Uh, got a bunch of things, uh, new things to put up there, which is great. I was working with this Persian pop singer. Uh, Shahin the Jaffe and I, I filmed all those shows on the GoPro so I'm going to put that up for a totally different uh, take on playing live a totally different style and sort of process and role in the band for me not being a musical director not being the artist uh, having nothing to do with jazz and just being a complete sideman for, for a few shows so I'm going to put that up in the live archive as well and just plenty more stuff. As I wrote that post uh, over the past few days that published yesterday, uh, you know, the post is called Why I Moved to America, if you're curious. Um, when I was writing that post, it brought up so many great memories of working with those people. And the first time I worked with Steve on this big European tour, Steve Smith on this big European tour with Mike Stern and Randy Brecker. And I remembered I have every single show from that. And I've uploaded a few to the live archive, but it's great motivation to go back and finish editing all of those songs, all of those, uh, all of those shows into single videos and posting them to the site. So you guys, anyone who's a member of the base studio or anyone who has that live archive course, um, we'll get all of that and get a real sense of the trajectory. That's something I'm, I'm really excited about being able to add all these old photographs that I found. You know, I talked about working with Kenwood Denard for the first time and Hiram Bullock. And I, I managed to find all these old photographs and post them, embed them in the blog, which is kind of nice. I, I like the, like the way that looks. I think it adds to the, to the story a little bit. And I think that's where the blog format has Instagram beat. In terms of, you know, you can put a carousel of a bunch of photographs, but you can't have them in the right place for the text. Uh, I really, I really dig that being able to enhance the story in the right place on the page with, uh, with, with, with video and with audio and, and with, uh, with photos. I wish I could find the demo that I referenced that I sent to Mike Stern in like early 1998. 
uh, Richard Niles said, hey, man, you, you like Stern so much. I was like, yeah, I, yeah, I do. I really want to play with him. And he's like, well, I know him, and I was at Berkeley with him in 73. Why don't we record a demo? I'll write a track for you and arrange it, and we'll record a demo and send it to him. And I, I know I have it somewhere. It might even be on a CD somewhere. I couldn't find it digitized. It's something that's just been sitting in a in a CD wallet somewhere. But I will find that. I'll try and add it to that to that post. So, uh, and I'll let you know when I do, because it's interesting to go back and listen to me in 1998. I think I was, uh, 90, yeah, I would have been 19, like February, March of 98, uh, 19 and, and a few months. And just, I'm always curious as to how the trajectory goes. That goes back to me. I talk all the time about, Hey, you must re- re- record yourself. You know, it's like, like stand up comedians do. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately. I, I'm trying to go on these walks when I, when I don't have time to really work out. I'm trying to go on long walks, especially with the weight vest to add a little bit of, uh, add a little bit of resistance to my, to my situation, get my heartbeat up a little bit when I need it. And I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and the, the recurring theme is like everyone, especially with the iPhone and the little voice memo recorder, but everyone for a very long time has been recording their sets, stand up comedians. They go do sets, they go do spots, five, 10, 15, 20 minute spots, drop ins here and there, or they go do sets and they're working on their hour for a special. It's kind of so, there are so many parallels with stand up to, to, to music in, in the way they, record that and listen to themselves back and figure out, oh, you know what, I can tighten up that ending or you know, I have the punchline, but the setup isn't quite working and just going like, tirelessly back over that. And it's, it's great listening to people struggle with with ha- with having to listen to themselves over and over again and tell the same joke six sets in a row in like Boise, Idaho or something. They come back after a weekend in Boise and Monday morning, what are they doing? Get off the flight, go home, catch some Zeds and then get up and, and listen to those six sets and see what was tight, what wasn't. So many parallels. And that's something I do a lot of all the time. I've talked about that a lot before. I will continue to talk about it and suggest you do it uh, as a musician if you're looking to improve your process. Um, there's, I've been categorizing. Like, uh, Let me see what the exact number is. I'm going to look in the phone right now in photos. Somewhere it tells you, it should just say, uh, buddy, <laughs> you have too much shit. Where does it tell you how many? Well, okay, so 29,000, almost um, 12, 12 shy of 30,000 photographs. Okay, that's scary. And videos just in the phone. Where's the video folder? Nope, 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 nope. Come on. Would be nice if you just showed me what I wanted. Videos. 8,136 videos. Over 8,000 videos. And of course, some of those are like my kid and, you know, you know, just stuff that isn't music related, but I'm pretty sure because I've been going through a lot of them and, and like categorizing them by year. If I get super bored and have the time, I'll start categorizing them by month and really organizing them in, in order and in, in, get the chronology right. So I know exactly what was going on when, um, but I would say probably 7,000 of those videos are music related. And, and I'm not talking about like a 60 second clip to put on Instagram. I'm talking about a 20 minute practice session or just going over and over and over one phrase, one idea, and maybe recording myself for two minutes a day for 10 days while I'm working on that thing and being able to go back and say, okay, where's, 
where does the phrase hit me where I want to hear it? Again, we get back to that real versus feel. There's just no way it lies to you. It tells you exactly what you were doing. It, 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 it eradicates what you think you were doing and brings you right back to reality as to what, what you actually did. And that's so useful. That is the, you know, the, the, the setup and the punchline, um, of a stand-up comedy thing. That's where I draw those parallels. And that's how I can go back and, and look at it. That's why the live archive is so important at the base studio, um, to be really honest and transparent about that. It's, you know, not only is that like, okay, guys, uh, here's what actually happened. You know, I, I can talk about it in videos and say, well, I do this because this one thing happened on a gig 15 years ago. Uh, it's, it's one thing to do that. Okay, you have to trust me. I hope you do. You know, as, as much as my, uh, as much as my feel element can be, it, it, it can be accurate, um, you know, as much as my memory serves me well, uh, I can be completely open and honest about it. But there's nothing more honest than saying, well, this is what I sounded like when I was 19. And this is where I was when I was 26. And you know what? This is the gig last week. Um, that, and this, these five things I fucking hated about it. And, you know, and three of those five things, I thought they were great in the moment. And then I went back to the hotel afterwards and listened. I was like, oh, shit, you know what? They weren't actually. I was totally hearing that backwards or, you know, completely unrealistic. I was thinking about this as well recently. The real versus feel really depends on where you have the camera or recording device as well. It's like, do I have that on stage? Am I hearing only what I actually heard on stage, is it close to me? Is it within, within like, uh, uh, is it at arm's length where I can turn it on and off during the performance? So am I getting this really sort of skewed on stage monitor sound? Um, might make the video look better and some more detail in the technique or something or the interaction in the band, but I'm actually not getting the experience that the audience got. And what I want to hear most of the time, if possible, is what it sounded like out front. So there's already a massive difference between your own concept of your, uh, your, your real versus your feel. And then there's the difference between all of that and what actually happened out front in the front of house when your bass and the band and all the elements of the night got processed by a front of house console and PA system and were there subs and, you know, how did the bass actually sound out front? Was there a good mix between the bass and the drums? Was the guitar kind of muddied with the simple, like all of those things. So I need to, I want to be better. I need to be better at doing that and not necessarily getting a board mix. I hate those because they're so dry and they just get what's coming out of the board with no room sound in it for the most part. Um, but getting a room sound from the middle of the room or the back of the room, just somewhere off the stage. That's something I would like to get way more uh, consistent at and get way better about doing, which means I've got to take probably a separate recorder with me because a camera is always going to be, for the most part, going to be close. Um, and maybe I can put the recorder by the sound booth. I've done that before. Then it means I've got to sync up the audio after. It's more work for sure. Just having the little GoPro, the old GoPro session, I think it's a five or something. It's nothing new at all. It does shoot 4K and the, the, the audio, as you've heard on clips is, is fine. Um, obviously depending where you put it, 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 you know, that is such a win where I just hit one button and it records and I hit the same button and it stops and I go dump all the footage and put it in a named folder and archive it away and it's done. There's no editing until I get to the live archive. 
and there's no mixing of audio from a different source and then syncing it up. So it's, it's a bunch more work. I obviously have to see what the payoff is. Maybe I do one of every four shows like that just to check in. I think on tour that will be kind of healthy. Or if I, you know, on a sound check, that, that would be a good way to do it actually. On a sound check, if I can be like, oh, this room is kind of weird. I know the sound on the stage is really different from the front of house. Let me do that. Let me check out what's going on for this gig. You know, maybe I'll do it on a case by case basis. Um, and if it's a venue I've played a ton before and I really know the room and I know the stage sound and everything, maybe I don't really need to do that. But it's, it's been great to be able to deliver it to the bass studio. And, um, for anyone who's listening who is also a member over there, it's thank you for all the, all the feedback about that. I see the, I see the views and I, I see, um, I see that those videos get, get viewed quite a significant amount more. I guess because it's music to listen to, right? You can do that uh, a little bit passively if you want to. And now with the Teachable app, you can just throw it in the phone and put it in your pocket and listen while you do other stuff. It's almost like listening to a podcast, I would imagine. Um, so yeah, that's something I am becoming more and more aware of. It's something that is continuing to develop, which is always great. It's not just, oh yeah, record yourself and listen back. Boom, done. It's like, no, you know what? We can improve within that framework it's not just a one-dimensional thing that has to stay the same all the time and i'm sure you know when technology improves as it always does i'm sure actually technology is already there i just don't have the devices yet maybe i need a a different camera slash audio setup that sits i just set it up in the middle of the room it's kind of risky some places though i kind of hate the camera the expensive part being anywhere i can't see it or get to it but um maybe i need to do that and have something that's on a remote control so i'm not worrying about oh shit i get on stage and i forgot to start the thing and i gotta walk out through the audience that sometimes sucks there's one show uh, i think it was first set at ronnie scott's with bob uh october to uh no yeah october 12th first set of ronnie scott's and i sat down we came out there Luckily, we were playing closer, which is piano and sax to start. And I look over and I'm like, oh, the camera's on the floor, unplugged and not set up. And I had to, like, quiet as a mouse, set that thing up like, three feet behind Bob as they play the, the, uh, the intro to closer. And the, uh, oh, I actually play in that as well. So I had like two A sections to set it up. And obviously, you don't see me setting it up because I, <laughs> the camera only comes on once, uh, once I'm there, but you, you'll, you'll notice on that first set, it comes on like halfway through the first full chorus of Closer. And sometimes I forget, you know, sometimes I get, I think Ollie Rockberger came down. I'm not blaming him, but Ollie Rockberger came down on the sound check and I was, we were going through some drama on the phone, like with logistics. And there were like some, there were some distractions that I wanted to pay attention to. I wanted to see my buddy and I wanted to take care of business on the phone. So the camera kind of got shunted down the pecking order, unfortunately. And sometimes it happens. Um, sometimes it fails as well. I miss the entire, I don't know, which first or set, I think first set it failed after like one song in Milan at the Blue Note, which was a bummer because that was actually a nice show. And that was one of those places where the sound is super weird. It's such a big boomy room. as the upstairs, the downstairs, the audience, like depending on where you sit, you could hear five different shows. Um, just based on the way the sound is where you sit in the room and then on stage, it's not, it's not ideal. I wouldn't say it's like the worst place I've ever played, but it's just a weirder room to play. Not, not suited to all kinds of music or all kinds of like orchestration or instrumentation. So yeah, I'm definitely always conscious of it. Maybe I got to make a note here. Okay. 
new, I'm going to write this down, right? New recording device, question mark. Let me see what I can find. Um, yeah, so give me some feedback about the Instagram thing. Um, it's literally just a post about each. It's not about, it's just a post um, subset give you this like media uh, like three different options that the, the image you use plus the title and then a white or an orange square. So I just have like these white and orange tiles now, which looks cool on the, if you go in the dark mode in your browser, that kind of looks nice. I'm not sure about white because one of the squares is white, but um, yeah, that, that's, that's what's going on with the Instagram thing right now. Um, let me give me some feedback about that. Seems a shame to lose all that momentum of having like a not that insignificant amount of people following me there, but really the motivation is to get people, anyone who's interested and engaged and um, digs hearing stories and hearing the podcast and and um, getting some kind of newsletter slash blog on a semi regular basis. I would like to port them over from Instagram to Substack and then eventually fade that out because it's. I think the. I think the platform thing is just it's so overdone that I feel like people are people are moving away from it and the most successful people on these platforms are building their own now it's like I look at like who's the who's the most uh visible and successful YouTube like as someone like Mr. Beast like Jimmy Donaldson like look at a guy like that with I think over a hundred million subscribers on YouTube now like he's definitely the YouTube guru maybe PewDiePie still has more than him I don't think he's ranked number one in the world but he's definitely parlayed it into other areas maybe more than anyone else on YouTube just that's just me guessing I'm not that's not uh that's not a fact that I've researched but I get the impression that he's done that and whether he's the biggest or not he's definitely diverse there's no uh no way around it he does the biggest most expensive productions on YouTube with the with the crazy videos and the multi-million dollar giveaways and islands and private jets and all that stuff which gets views and brings in subscribers but he also has like a doesn't he have a chocolate, like a candy line and a, a beast burger, like a food chain now as well? And just all of these other things. I get the feeling that someone like that is going to be the new Sony records, for instance, like he has a, over a hundred billion subscribers. Like why would you ever go to um, BMG or does BMG even exist? But, but Sony or, or, or capital, why would you go to one of those record labels when someone like that, if they were to open a record label, could promote talent far more effectively than any legacy, than just any legacy uh, uh, platform or company that that still exists. Like I really don't know why record labels still exist. I'm I'm kind of shocked by it. Like I get that. I was talking to Steve Smith about this uh, and about like the the way he used to record. This is the 40th anniversary of Vital Information, of course, and the way. They used to get X amount of dollars for a budget and, you know, they'd be able to go in the studio and do all this stuff and it was like fronted. But then you don't own your master and you're kind of in debt to the record label afterwards. Like you have to recoup all of that money. Say they gave you, okay, of course for a jazz record they wouldn't, but for argument's sake and a big round number, say they gave you $100,000 to make a record and you spent the whole hundred grand making the record. You've then got to sell enough of them to recoup that money to get to zero to then get into your shitty... 13 to 18% on sales or whatever they give you or gave you. I remember having this conversation with Stanley Clark once. 
and he was talking about school days and it's a platinum record and it's his most successful thing. But, uh, every time it got used, like in a, in a product placement or, or sync licensing or something, the record label still owned the master and took the lion's share of whatever was money was being made at 40 years after it was recorded or something, 30, 40 years after it was recorded. And so, because he doesn't own the master, so he can't make a hundred percent of the sync licensing, uh, royalties. And I, I, at the time I suggested to him, like, just go re-record it with your current band. I think it was Bruno and Russell and those guys at the time. Just go re-record it and you'll own that new master and it'll be the same tunes and similarly recorded perhaps. And then you can use that version of it to do your sync licensing. And I remember him telling me like, and it's, it's nothing uh, weird about what he said. Like this is a totally across the board. You can ask so many people. I think they took 85% or some crazy number. There was no 50-50 split or uh, a number outside of the teens in terms of the percentage you got on sales and sync licensing and all the stuff that went along with a record deal. Now, I'm sure he got a fat advance at the time, and I'm sure in the 70s – okay, when was School Days? Uh, school Days, Stanley Clark, when was that made? 76, there you go. I'm sure in 76 there were um, – like promo budgets and all kinds of traditional legacy things that would have been very, um, very attractive and something you couldn't afford to do yourself at that point because there was just no infrastructure for the individual. So record labels kind of were the gatekeepers and held all the keys and all the cards. Um, but now it's like, so yeah, so like everyone, not just Steve Smith and Vital Information, but everyone basically from that era is, in debt to their record label. Now it's not a debt you have to pay off. It's a debt that it's a, it's a risk the label assumes on your behalf. Um, you just pay into that debt. You know, ba- basically if they give you a hundred grand, um, to make a, make a record and it's a small jazz record, um, that they're just going to be taking every penny of profit and sales you make, uh, until long after you're dead because you just never pay it back. So. A lot of people like that. And that's not just jazz people. That's pop people as well. I know people who are like, you know, made records and went on tour and even had small hits and are like 400 grand in the hole to their label still years later, decade later, five years later, 20 years later, because the the album just never recouped. And then, of course, you make that transition from sales to streaming and your streaming numbers have to be so gargantuan to really see – really see a recoup on that i think these days so yeah very very interesting how the hell did we get there gone off on such a tangent the label thing ah the platforms right yeah and just looking at all these like huge podcasters for instance you know like if your mum's house or joe rogan experience or any one of these massive like comedy uh led um, podcast wanted to be the platform to launch like Andrew Schultz. I think Andrew Schultz is already doing it, right? Is he, does he have a production company or something like that? I, I know a lot of people have to, of these people have to be thinking about getting into that. They'd be crazy not to, um, to leverage their own success on a platform to do it for themselves. Cause I just think the, yeah, doing it as an individual is perhaps not what it used to be even five years ago, definitely not 10 years ago. Um, it's very interesting. So that's where I stand with the, with the whole social media thing and wanting to bail in a big way. Um, and now, like I said, just using the Instagram as a straight promo thing for the blog and for the mailing list. 
If you go to yannickwasdala.com right now, the first thing is the sign-up uh, form. It's all free, of course. Like You don't have to pay for it. Um, it's all free just to be on the mailing list and be involved, uh, you know, be a part of the conversation, get what I put out there for free. Um, and I'm, you know, I, there have been people that have subscribed and paid for it. I'm very appreciative of all of you that have done that here in the first, you know, less than a month I've been on Substack. That is, does not go unnoticed at all. That is greatly appreciated. And I'm still struggling with what I do with free versus paid. Like that's the next step. And is it something that I do? free and paid but every post goes out for free so it's like if you do pay to be a subscriber to the Substack, you're simply saying that you want to support the art and there's there aren't specific like bonuses for being a paid member like a patreon thing or something it's literally just like oh you know what dig the way this person writes or the way this person podcasts or, or whatever makes music i'm going to support it and this is an easy way to do that and people are fine with there not being any like huge list of bonuses that I'm, I'm thinking about that you know i've been reading about the different ways people do this not just on substack but just in general with their audiences and that seems to be a popular one it works for some people it doesn't work for others some people are paid only some people like half and half i'm really i'm really not sure um Let's see. That that's something that's going to develop. I'm going to figure it out. I'm still doing lots of reading and lots of research on that. Maybe you guys can give me some feedback in the comments on Substack. Let's make that the topic of conversation today. Let me see where you are. There's nothing like hearing from you, the people who may perhaps already are paying for it or are thinking of paying for it. That would be really useful information. There's nothing like hearing hearing the, the the information from you, the people who are actually subscribed to my mailing list. If you're listening to the podcast, Spotify, um, on, on Apple Music or watching on YouTube and you're not on the mailing list, it is, of course, completely free. There's no obligation. Uh, all you'll get is more podcasts and more blog episodes. Um, so go do that at Substack if you're not already on the mailing list. Um, I, th- I think that's it. I got to... It's so it would be so easy to go another hour right now because there's like so much to talk about. I haven't been podcasting in a week, but I think I'm going to be responsible, split up my day uh, the way it needs to be split up, um, get back in in gym mode a little bit. Even though I did a couple of nice miles with the weight vest on early run, feeling pretty good. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll do a music slash health episode at some point. Let me know if you want to hear that. Uh, I can go through what I do. I can go through where I get my information from, who I've worked with, uh, you know, professionally speaking over the years and talked with about that kind of stuff. Been very fortunate to be around some, um, highly sought after, uh, individuals in that world that really know their stuff. I've paid a lot of, a lot of attention to what they have to say and implemented that in my life to great, uh, benefit. And, um, I think knowing more about it sadly makes me uh, understand like how important it is when I miss it and when I can't get to it and when I fall into the trap of like eating bad on the road or something you know I have a day or two when I go off the rails and have a couple of glasses of wine I'm eating this chocolate or something you know just stuff that isn't great especially when it's paired with also not exercising and and all of those things so been paying a lot of attention to it. Maybe that's what the next podcast episode could be about. And uh, maybe I'll post, do, do a blog post as well and, and post some actual information and 
sources and, and stuff that you could, uh, you know, go reference for yourself and see if some of this stuff works for you. I'm not <laughs> trying to sell a supplement or some sort of fitness course or something. Um, that's just purely, uh, sort of anecdotal and, um, you know, based on, based on experience. So if you want to hear that, leave me a comment, leave me a comment about the social media stuff. Always good to hear back from you. And of course, about the paid versus unpaid Substack situation. Would be nice to get some feedback about that. So, okay, that is it. We'll catch all of you very soon on the next episode. Mm-hmm.